Welcome to our mid-roll lives. My name's Yves Sinclair. And I'm Cameron Lalana. Tagline goes here. Hey, Cameron. Yeah. What are you wearing for Halloween this year? I know you're probably not going to a party, but are you going to dress up? Uh, <laughs> I, I haven't dressed up for Halloween for several years. I say not. you're not going to a party because of COVID, honestly. If yeah. COVID wasn't here, I'm sure there's many invitations waiting at the door. But I don't know about that one, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you don't know what to dress up as, Cameron, I think you should dress up as Daniela from oh. Broad 2. Boom! I think, I think you've, that's a, that'd be a good idea. I don't know where to get a shotgun from, but uh, other than that. A sawed-off shotgun, <laughs> you should say. Yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, so today's episode, we're going to be talking about Brat 2, which we recently watched together and uh, have decided to, you know, complete the the saga, aka there's one episode about Brat 1, now there's yes. an episode of Brat 2. Mm-hmm. But before we get right into that, tell me about your life, Cam. How you how have you been? It's been a couple of weeks. We were a bit on a hiatus almost. Yeah. Well, I was, um, you know, I was in the desert on kind of a vision quest to understand myself and then came back, took the GRE. I think it really helped. And uh, really exciting <laughs> life I, I've been living. I was in, I was in Joshua Tree. Uh, so there's really nice hiking there and I had a very good time. Uh, how about you, Eves? What were you doing for these for those weeks that I was um, out of incommunicado? Well, I don't even honestly remember. I think I we had some uh, some nice dinners at home. You know, it's starting to get a little cooler though. It's like eighty five degrees half the week still in California, so it's a bit ridiculous. I think the most interesting thing for me was I got my flu shot. Which, if anyone's listening and hasn't gotten their flu shot yet. Go get your freaking flu shot. You'll get. You can get like a free one. Well, I don't know if it's free, but your insurance should pay for it if you have insurance. And um, it's just the right thing to do this year. Don't want to spread more diseases and sickness, so um, get your flu shot. But strangely enough, for me, I got my flu shot on Monday. Today is Friday, and I experienced the so-called like pseudo flu symptoms that might occur if you um get a flu shot it's not like the same thing as being genuinely having the flu but i did go through a time in which i could not stay standing without getting dizzy and stuff like that like it was giving me some real kind of i kept worrying that i have chronic lyme i was just like what's happening why can't I stand up right now? Why do I feel so tired and, and, and woozy? But thankfully it has mostly gone away. Um, I wouldn't say completely gone away, That's good. but I can, you know, record the podcast and like the energy is back. It's just like my head still feels a little like nauseous almost. Anywho. Yes. Brought to. Brought the. Boogaloo. Uh, Cameron. Yes. What the hell is this movie? <laughs> yeah, so Bratva is really interesting because, as we discussed previously, uh, the original Brat is a film which kind of gets at the angst of a generation, especially reflecting the attitudes of the immediate post-Soviet generation in Petersburg, although I think it was supposed to be reflective of, of Russia as a whole, although city life and, and um, provincial life in Russia are not really comparable. Um and that was really a very tightly focused narrative on, you know, our, our hero as he goes through a, a, a dark, kind of dirty city. And Bratva is now an international <laughs> crime drama action movie um, with just so many, so many gunfights. In the first movie, they were working on a budget of about $10,000. Most of the actors didn't get paid. You could kind of see it in the special effects. Bratva is, had a budget of, 1.5 million dollars which i think is like 50 I, I tried to do the math in my head something like 15,000 fold i don't know i have to use a calculator but there there is an immense uh scale up of the of the budget and that reflects in the film as it has a massive scope mm. and a lot of people felt that it kind of detracted from the film as well and we'll get into that later 
But really, I guess if you want to say in short, Brat and Brat 2 are in the same film series, but they're really not comparable films. Although, I think Brat 2 definitely tries to do what the original Brat did, uh, but more successfully. I think, I mean, I don't know if, this is, if I'm getting into analysis too quick, but it's almost as if Brat 1 was like an accidental hit, and then Brat 2 was like, wait we're actually geniuses but like not you know it's like you just it was sort of an accident mm. and so forcing and like a set sequel to something that you didn't really like what i think of is like people I, I don't know if the the movie the room has a legitimate sequel but um if mm. they ever tried to it would be impossible, right? Because like the whole specialty of that movie, the like the movie The Room, I'm, I'm, you're familiar with that film, right, Cameron? I'm not, yeah, uh, stretching it up. It's like a it's like a classically hilariously terrible film, but that's what makes it good. And it's kind of the same way with Brought One. It's like it's low budget, you know. It's like it's not that deep, you know, in terms of like they're they're you know, it's a very simple film, but what it does it does really well because i think of the limitations that it had whereas brought two has the has a lot less limitations they have a real budget and so now it's doesn't feel as i guess legitimate almost because it's like they're just trying to recapture the essence of something that was only possible in brought one because of all of the circumstances that a sort of led to that sort of artistic statement that they made with the first film because it was such a low budget sort of mm. beautiful mass not masterpiece but you know it, it's it's a i think I, th- I would call it masterpiece uh well i've good well, well we'll get into this discussion later because i think that'll be interesting for us uh, but first before we get into that uh, for everyone who's not seen Bharat Dava, um you if you want to you can pause this right here and go watch it. Although, if you're, it's a long movie. I assume if you're listening to a podcast, you're probably doing something. At some point, maybe consider going, going and watching it. Right now, we're going to do a quick recap. Uh, we will be more or less spoiling the film. I don't think that would ruin your enjoyment of the film. It's not like I, I, you can't see where it's going to go from a mile away. But we're just covering enough so you can get a basic idea to follow our mm. conversation. But I would highly encourage you to watch it yourself too. If you listen to this podcast, you have time. <laughs> <laughs> to watch Brad yeah. though yeah, it is about long. half half of the movie so it is free on youtube yeah. though so there's literally yes. no excuse like free it's on youtube i mean time limitations yeah yeah watch it two times speed or something <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah so the film in brief and uh Eve and i are going to trade off here uh as it begins in the in the second film danila has reconnected with with some of his old war buddies from chechnya he's doing a bit better he wants to go into medical school to become a doctor and it opens up with him visiting a tv station to be interviewed with his friends later on he's talking with them at a at a, at a banya or at, at a, i don't entirely the know it. it's, it's sort of a bathhouse sort of sort of thing yeah not exactly a bathhouse it's more like a, they're at a pool really mm-hmm. and um one of his friends from from chechnya is talking about how his brother, who plays hockey in in the U.S., um, essentially is being leaned on, or was being leaned on by the Ukrainian mafia to give them money. And his brother went and asked uh, an American businessman who was a friend of the the Russian, um, the brother in Russia, his boss, for help. And they all that eventually worked itself out. But it turns out that the Americans actually taking way more due to contracts. Uh, than the Russian or the, than the Ukrainians were asking for in the first place. So now they're trying to figure out how to get him out of that situation, uh, because he's now realizing that the Americans with their contracts are more wily than the Ukrainians with their guns. Mm. So the the brother plans to ask his boss for help with that, because the American menace, who is taking all of his brother's money, is coming back to Moscow to do a deal with uh, his boss, and that kind of sets off the whole plot line. Because when he does and go, his name is Kostya. His uh, Danila's friend Kostya asks his boss for that help. His boss pitches it to Menace, the American, and Menace is like, "Oh, you know, if you ask me about it, I took care of it." And he kind of leans into the guy because they've just been talking about a deal that they're making to get for the Russian businessman to buy to buy essentially an American casino now that it's legal on uh, Native American reservations. And he's like, "This is a big thing for us. This is really hard for us to do." So. Let's not jeopardize that, essentially telling the Russian 
you know, don't step on my business. Mm. And that is where where the film really starts to kick off as the boss then decides to uh, prioritize his dealings over helping um, his, his employee, Kostya. And Yves, where, where does that go from there? Well, may I just interject before mm-hmm. we continue this sort of plot summary? Menace, I just realized, sounds a lot like menace, which is a word that I could see, you know, the Russians trying to be kind of clever here and mm. be like the American menace type yeah. of to society. <laughs> sort of I, I could definitely like see that. Literally. It's just a different spelling, but of the exact same, you know, pronunciation yeah. is, I don't know, just wanted to maybe make a little point there. Uh, but so you, we, we just left off on uh, so the boss killing. Has, have, so, yeah, the boss. Kostya. Or he has he has one of his men, the head of security, kill Kostya. Well, yeah, he doesn't literally, but like, yeah, one of his goons kills Kostya and then Yula finds him realizes what's going on goes to his friend who i'm forgetting the name of because it's all in russian Ilya, and they start hatching a plan at the museum which again do, is there any significance to him like why the job at the museum no i i think it's just to that but so so Ilya now works as an archivist at the Russian State Museum, which, if you're familiar, is on Red Square in Moscow. Mm. Um, it's a, it's like a big red building. It was, um, I forget what it was originally. It's been a lot of things over time. Uh, but it is currently the Russian State Museum. And uh, at this time, he's working as an archivist there, which means he's got a lot of time alone after hours. Which I think they just did for, like, cool shots, because I, I've, I've been to Red Square, and I, I know that area. Red Square is literally never as empty as it's portrayed in this film. <laughs> Although that was this was the early 2000s, so maybe it's not as interesting to people. So they go, they start planning, making their plans at the the Russian State Museum on Red Square. And they like, you know, there's a sort of ridiculous scene of a laptop used to hack into the databases and they found out all about the boss, the Russian boss guy that's like, an asshole that's trying to kill them and well he doesn't know about them yet well yeah he doesn't know about them yet but he will soon um <laughs> i'm sorry spoilers the russian bad guy yeah. boss is a bad guy um and uh they decide to also pick up some weapons some guns right I well, hope also right before him. this oh yeah right, right right before this um i we have to remember victor uh, Victor in the first film is the big mm. highfalutin um, Petersburg bro. assassin, big, bro. big brother, yes, uh, who uh, Danila's mother wanted him to go to Petersburg to be more like. Uh, now you flash to him, he's back at home, he's eating uh, and drinking vodka while they're watching Danila's interview, and his mother's getting on his case about it. And in a reversal of the first film, t- in the ver- a reversal of the first film tells him to go find his successful brother in Moscow. So he does. And now, around this ironic. point, he's trying to find them. Such an yes. ironic scene, guys. I hope everyone was aware. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, but, yeah, so he also, yeah, the Tartar, as I'm going to choose to call him, because <laughs> that was his hitman name in the in the original film and remains so throughout the second film uh yeah he shows up in moscow a little awkward daniela and the tartar aka whatever what's it, is it victor? victor 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 you know they have a strained relationship but um but they flow together pretty naturally they they fold him into the plan pretty fast yeah i mean the sort of i think maybe the big part of this film is it's called brother and it seems like a lot of the plot relies on things you do for your brothers because <laughs> like mm, the hockey right. bros Benula going initially in the first film like it's just yeah the theme of brother family yeah, so they, they're deal. they've been they've been following um the businessman i forget his name uh belkin belkin they're following belkin they're finding stuff out about him and now they start to hatch a plan mm, yes is this where they go to the the fascist Nazi neo-Nazi. I think before that. We can we can talk about that one later. It's not really super important to the plot. They just they get guns from a fascist. It's a funny scene, ridiculous scene. <laughs> so what, what? Then where are we? Because um... yes, 
So right after that, they uh, basically have now gotten down Belkin's schedule. So what uh, Danila does is he pretends to be uh, one of Belkin's son's teachers at the school that they are fed yet Belkin's son attends. And he's doing a recitation of a poem. uh, And so he goes and, you know, at the end of the poem, he goes up and is like, congratulates Fedya. And then Belkin, wondering who this guy is, comes up and he says, oh, I'm his teacher. Can we have a a talk about Fedya? And then he invites Belkin to another room and then pulls out a gun and interrogates him about Kostya's murder. Um, And then at this point, Belkin tells him about menace. And now Danila looking at Belkin, who's kind of breaking down, you know, you can see him breaking under the pressure, uh, decides that the real person he wants to go after is Menace, and they leave. And so at that point, uh, the trio begin to get ready to go to to America, to Chicago, where Menace works. Um, and at this point, uh, Belkin's trying to clean things up, and it's revealed that <laughs> he, actually Kostya's murder was a misunderstanding. Um, he yells at his head of security, and he says, like, when I said told you to get rid of him, I meant fire him, not have him killed. And so now this is threatening his business dealings with Menace. So he's trying to get, he's getting his uh, gangsters to start searching for Danila and Victor. And they are, you know, watching the airport because they've kind of gotten a sense of their plans. And uh, through a, you know, a little, little bit of subterfuge, Danila and Victor managed to both make it to America. It's, it's a complex plan. I don't really need to go into it. The basic thing is they outsmart uh, the goons who are on the Russian side and the Ukrainian mafia who are on the American side who are looking for them both. And they get into America. Victor uh, is in Chicago. Danila goes to New York. And then there's a long scene about how he gets to to Chicago, which is not relevant to the plot, but we'll be talking about it later since it is important to the themes. Mm. Danila makes it to Chicago, but back in Moscow, you know, Belkin is still determined to capture Danila because... They uh, do not want to <laughs> let, let them get in the way of the business dealings, as you said. But uh, do you want to get into the prostitute stuff? Is that like... Yeah, that's mean... relevant to the plot. We don't need to go super deep into it. We can talk more about what it means later on. But uh, Dasha is important to the plot. Ah, yes, Dasha. I'm trying to find... So when, when um, Danila first arrives in Chicago, he's trying to find information and runs into a Russian woman, Dasha, who is a, a prostitute. And uh, since he's not trying to, she like gives him some brief information, but since he's not trying to hire her, uh, her pimp is like, you know, we got more important things to do essentially. And he's like, don't come back here to Danila. Uh, Danila doesn't take kindly to that. He uh, basically comes back and, and kills the pimp and as well as um, one other of his, of his men. Mm. And at that point, Dasha has nothing to do but go with him since, you know, her, <laughs> her, her, well, employer of a sort, or pimp, is now dead. So then they go meet up with Victor, uh, right up at Lake Michigan. They have a little chat, which we'll talk about later. And then they decide that it's time to move against Menace. And so uh, through a complex series of plans, like it's like the first film in terms of making up a plan that's very slipshod, but it works out. They eventually are able to... Um, find their way into the skyscraper where Menace works and goes up to talk, talk to Menace, kills his colleague, and then they have a little discussion. And then finally at the end, Danila kind of demands all of the money that um, Menace had taken from Kostya's brother to be returned. And then at that point, Danila and Dasha decide to go back to Russia. Victor uh, is really determined to stay in America, which I don't know how long he's going to be there, given that uh, uh, <laughs> I think Victor is he, his final scene. He's being arrested by the police because he was uh, fighting with the Ukrainian mafia and he's yelling out that he's going to stay in America and, you know, freedom to Angela Davis and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and so Dasha, when she's leaving, the, the people at the airport's like, you can't come back. Your, your passport, your, your visa expired years ago. And she's like, I'm not going to come back. And then she and Danila go back to, to Russia. Happy ever ending, right? More more enough, more or less. So that, that that's Brat Dva in a nutshell. There's a lot of intricate pieces which we didn't cover here. It's a two-hour long film. I mean, watch the movie. Yeah. Watch yeah. the film. But this is not... That's the basic idea. So this is... I think they are trying to do the same thing they did with Brat, uh, Brat 1, Brat Adin. Mm-hmm. In that it is trying to address 
kind of the concerns of a generation. And you can see that in the second film. I think it does, it's not entirely unsuccessful in conveying these things. However, as a whole, it does not succeed uh, as much. And we'll get to talk about that in a second. What was the, the film for you? We talked about that briefly at the beginning. How did it come off to you? How did, did you come off? Did you enjoy it? Did you think it was mindless but fun or not fun and mindless, et cetera, et cetera? I thought it was longer than it really needed to be considering all of, not that much happens and it's not complex over, I mean, like, I guess it's kind of complex, but I don't know. I just felt like the film being like two and a half hours is a bit excessive for most movies that aren't like really, mm. like you have to do really be doing something special and there has to be some tension. Whereas the film does not like at no point me and Cameron were ever like on our seats like what's gonna happen next you know like we've watched it I think that's Russian films as a whole they're all really long I don't know how much I've I've, after all the Russian cinema I've seen they're all really long and they have a lot of like kind of French-esque staring off into the distance (laughs) is there is that happening in this film I don't know if there's much and that's, this is actually a lot more action-packed than a lot of the Russian films <laughs> I've seen, like Studian Thor. It's Studian, not a Tarkovsky um, film. Mucinik <laughs> and, and Leviathan and films like that. It's a little bit more action-packed than definitely. Um, it It definitely has that sort of, like, it's heavily influenced by American movies, but it's like the whole point is sort of like we're Russian. And so I think... Um, the first film works well because it's got the small budget. It's not trying to be more than what it is. And it's not like taking, it's not biting off more than it can chew. You know, like it really just, it's a solid film. It's like, I think the first one's only like 90 minutes, right? Or something like that. Like what, it, what is the length? Mm, I can, I'll look that up. Okay. Whereas, yeah, the, the running time for the second film is two hours and I don't know. I just, I guess what it ultimately came down to for me is they try to like make a lot of quote unquote points about society or whatever, like Russian society and American society and compare and contrasting them. And like, it's very patriotic at times. Um, There's a lot of offensive moments that I kind of cringe at. Cause it's just like, what, what is happening here? Like what? A the the not mm. the neo not like they're buying guns from a neo Nazi like that's normal mm, from fasc- from fascist I mean I think that that's part of the kind of absurd comedy of the film but yeah fair enough but I think it it still felt like, I guess just weird to me in 2020 for that to be a normal thing but I guess Russia you know clearly has a different perspective on that whole well I mean it wasn't they weren't like oh he's a normal guy. Or at least the guys, they call him, you don't know his name. His name is Fascist. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, when when they're like, where can we get guns? Eli is like, oh, I got it. He picks up a phone. He's like, hello, Fascist. And they go, and, and when uh, Danila does say to him, like, you know, my grandfather died in the war. The guy, he's like shrugs and he's like, a lot of people died in the war. <laughs> I don't think they're trying to condone like fascism. I think they're, they're just trying. I think that I think that was more of a trope. He's not. He's clearly not portrayed well. He's like, <laughs> looks like he's coming down from some kind of like from heroin or something. He doesn't really have a whole lot. Uh, he's, he's he doesn't have a shirt on. He's just wearing like an SS coat and he's clearly freezing. Mm. But that's beside the point. Fair enough. I, I I still felt that it just it's it's just it was a bit jarring, I guess, because things are not like that over here as much. But um, to to even if it is like sort of a humorous thing. It, it's just kind of strange um and then i guess <laughs> the the way they portray black people in chicago is mm. yeah that's definitely it's pretty embarrassing it's pretty film. cringe and it's just flat out racist at points it's just like like yeah i mean i i agree i think it is it does it does become flat out racist i think it's a little bit more nuanced than that i think they try to to be a little bit Uneven uh, in some points, Danila is shown to be kind of um, like naive about what's going on in the Russians. Dasha, she has to explain like how things are to him, and he doesn't really get it. I don't think that's supposed to be portrayed as a good thing. It's just like he doesn't get it, and they do accurately portray the racism of Chicago police. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say that, like you know, to the to the extent that you know they're not the only gangsters in the film. There's Russian gangsters and Ukrainian gangsters. It's kind of around gang members that's that's the film as a whole yeah. so it's not exceptional but the portrayal of black people at, at times definitely descends into uh pretty racist uh some falling back on some racist tropes 
absolutely. <laughs> God. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, it, it's a bit long. I think probably the most, this most like kind of core issue that I have with it is like, is that the desire for it to, you know, I guess it makes sense, right? It's like it's 2000 or whatever. They filmed it probably in 1999 and that's right after the fall and the collapse and like American influence is changing or, you know, like the new perspective of America is like, you know, an imperfect society. Cause at, did we, have we mentioned this during the podcast that like a big thing no. is like, the soviets thought like america was perfect in the 1980s well or... let's see in the late soviet period you start having more western media um being allowed in the soviet union and what that uh, translated to was suddenly for the first time a lot of soviet people the average soviet person was getting an insight into how the average non-soviet western person lived in western europe and in the u.s and what they got was overwhelmingly positive imagery because obviously these countries are not going to be broadcasting in like social critiques of their societies. Mm -hmm. So you did have the Soviet Union portraying things like, oh, look at the U.S. It has a lot of race problems. And, you know, like Svoboda Angela Davis, uh, like Victor says at the end of the film, Angela Davis was was a big thing for Russians because there was, she was something they could point to and say, look, look at how America treats black people. And Angela Davis did go to the Soviet Union several times. Um, and... That that was the image being portrayed was of like full supermarkets and big homes and all that kind of stuff. And suddenly there's this perception that, oh, my God, we're not the society we thought we were. And everyone actually has it better than us. Um, and now, as you get to the 2000s, people start getting a more realistic look into other nations and they start understanding that there is a higher uh, per capita you know, GDP and people... And in certain areas do live better than us, but there's also a lot of poverty and all these other things that we've been kind of told about, maybe to some extent we believed, but did not mm. previously get to see in, in media. Now that is, we're coming to understand what that means, and especially because of post-Soviet regions were now going through uh, shock therapy and, and, well, this is actually post-shock therapy, but close to the beginning of, of shock therapy in the 2000s and seeing the problems that capitalism is now bringing and so they're starting to understand a little bit better. So in Brat Deva, you definitely see some an evolution. This wasn't really in the first film. The first film was kind of dissatisfied with Russian society, but now you're seeing in Brat Deva dissatisfaction with capitalist society and it, you know, a negative portrayal of it in the U.S. as well. I I find maybe a potentially interesting comparison is um, the two countries with the worst income equality is russia and the u.s as far as like mm. first world countries <laughs> yeah. right like <laughs> yeah i don't know what like, you take what you will with that but i guess it's just like they're they've america and russia have sort of been in this like weird i mean like clearly it was known as the cold war for a while and now it, i don't know what you would call it but like there's this this kind of constant sort of cultural know rivalry battle whatever you want to call it between the two nations where they're like nowadays i think americans really don't care that much about russia you know like they're i mean <laughs> there's uh, a certain portion of the american political class who is has had a collective breakdown over the existence <laughs> of russia over the you want to explain your point Cam. I, okay so Obviously, almost any American who's ever watched the news in the last four years has mm. heard about Russian interference in the American elections, which is much more complex than uh, you can than just, you know, they hacked, et cetera, thing, which is not untrue, but it's more complex than that. Or, um, of course, you know, the collective breakdown in the American political has over the Steele dossier, which actually recently the source work came out and it, it does not appear that she is necessarily someone who you immediately would want to would would trust i i am less inclined to immediately disbelieve her than i think everyone else is from the media sphere who's writing about her uh because obviously everyone's writing about her is writing very negatively about her so i can't say one or the other but there's a lot <laughs> obsession over russian things or that the the one russian woman maria i forget her name who was working with the IRA, not the ira the nra and was was making contacts with American politicians who everyone was pointing to as like oh my god this malicious force which yeah, not not a great thing obviously she should have registered as a foreign agent but um, um, 
the Russia is far from the only country that Influence. tries to uh, impact yeah. U.S. U.S. politics. I would argue the fact that it has to use blunt force tactics implies that it has much less sophisticated. It does not have the same level of access and sophisticated methods that other mm -hmm. countries use uh, because of et cetera things. But that's beside the point. So I, I think there's a certain portion of the American political class who does deeply care about Russia. But that, but like, on average, is is there like a fear of Russia in your opinion of like the general purpose or person? Like, because I feel like when we look at the 20th century, it's like there is like this total. Oh yeah, it's not like red scare. <laughs> yeah, it, it's changed a bit. Whereas I think like yeah, Russia may have or you know probably 100% you could say that like there was uh interference between like Russian agents and the US election of 2016 and most likely of 2020 soon to be speaking of Cam not to, to put us in a completely different position here but you know this is October 30th um the election is in 4 days <laughs> yes that's gonna be crazy. Are yes. we gonna do anything about? I, mean... I, I I don't know. That's I think that might be out of our. That's that might be out of our uh, wheelhouse. To be honest, yeah, you're probably right. But still, just like interesting stuff. Go vote. This is too late for the VAT, but like vote next year. <laughs> vote vote in the. I mean, it's not too late. It's still four well. Days this podcast is not gonna be. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. You go vote, Cam. Anyway, if you haven't yeah, so... voted, jeez. <laughs> yes. Have you voted? Yes. So. The brought the up. I, I understand your point. I think I liked it more than you did. Mm -hmm. I I I'm actually I'm pretty I I'm pretty big on it. I, I actually I had a kind of a fun time. It's it's not near not nearly as interesting as the original brat. I can I could sit down and watch the original brat like over and over again, and I'd get just as much out of it every time. Brat the is like. I was drunk when I was watching this. I think we were maybe we were both drunk. Yeah, I don't you, know. Speaking um, of, <laughs> no, you're good. I mean, I did mm. talk to my dad and the. What was the thing you were drinking that night? It was uh Oh uh um, truce is an expensive alcohol, so just <laughs> Yes. You don't yeah. have to don't worry about it. Just I, I was gonna buy some more. I was gonna yeah, give it to your dad. No, I was like, no. I wanna buy that myself. No, I was I was like I I, I love this stuff. I'm, i was gonna buy some more as like a oh, thank wow. you. Okay. Um <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> that's not yeah. So so I was I I was pretty drunk. I was having a good time. Um, I, I thought it was like, it's like a good kind of action movie for just sitting down and turning after the brain. It does try to make some points and I think it does successfully make some, um, as, such as portraying, uh, growing dis, uh, dissatisfaction with capitalist society. I think that's absolutely something it, it portrays pretty well. Um, uh, it, it tries to make some other points. For example, in early in the film, you have a Russian cab driver who's, really angry at like modern Russian society and he says like when did we become a society of Cretans it wasn't like this when I was young etc cetera, etc cetera. and in the US you have another cab driver who's also um, Ukrainian or Russian I don't remember who has a similar belief about Americans and obviously they're trying to draw parallels about um, maybe to make the point that it's not these societies individually but the way societies as a whole are evolving and what they what they are becoming uh, similarly you have like a lot of tons, tons of, of negative people, uh, stereotypes all over. There's a Russian in America who sells um, uh, Danila a car. And, you know, he says like, oh, this car will take you all the way to San Francisco and back. And Danila was like, really? I need, I think he's Ukrainian, sure? I need to go to Chicago. Actually. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Us, no, he says, he says us oh, Russians okay, have to like okay. stick together. Yeah, it's like, uh, we have to, there's no one we can trust in America but each other. Uh, and the joke there being that it doesn't even make it to Chicago. It breaks down before that point. And Danila has to get a ride from a trucker. And the trucker, not being Russian, doesn't speak any Russian. They have a great time. They actually they, they develop a friendship, I think, that lasts towards the end of the film. Um, even though uh, the trucker kind of disappears for most of the film after that point. Well, the trucker... So you're starting to see them... Takes him to the prostitute. So he's like mm. an important plot point when we... So you can get to dodge Yes, him. yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you can see the immediate parallel between the you know these two characters who are directly... Uh, contrasted against each other by the fact that they are the only non-Danila character who appear, you know, right after each other. And you have the Russian who cannot be trusted, but the American who doesn't understand Danila at all, but they become good friends by the end of it, more or less. So I think that they are trying to make a, sort of a point about that, uh, about, and not who you can trust, but 
some some deeper point about people i don't i couldn't entirely articulate it right now i need to think about it a little bit more and i think those are those are some interesting they're not it's not really deep but i think it's a fun little fun little theme of the movie i like that or um obviously you have when we if you're talking about like some of the <laughs> some of the racial politics of the movie obviously ups and downs however i would say they did get it nail on the the nail on the head with um the the scene when Danila uh, he attacks when he's trying to initially get Dasha away from from her pimp he attacks the guy and someone else and he gets arrested and uh, like the cop is is talking to him and he decides after looking down up and down he says f them n words and just lets Danila go which is really nailing the head for the Chicago police I guess um, but I, I I thought it wasn't like to your point not not terribly deep but I thought it had some fun little hmm. themes overall and it's a good crime drama action film uh the 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 features of, of Danila being really crafting the first film return in much greater form in a way that it's much less believable but it's still kind of I mean, fun it's a, it... like they have a they have gunfights they in the beginning of the film Danila and Victor have a gunfight with gangsters who are chasing them and Dan- and Victor has like a Maxim machine gun in the back of their oh, car yeah. and it's it's so over the top but it's kind of fun the the reality is i think it's it's sort of like a comedy in a sense right like is it labeled as that or mm. I don't think it's labeled as a comedy, but I I I watch it as as a sort of a dark uh, like a dark it has comedy. a lot of dark comic sort of irony. There's no point where like there's anything scary happening. That's for sure. I mean, like mm. it is. There's a, there's some like I guess violence, but it's mostly just you know like sh- like very classic action mm. shooter type stuff. Um, right. Thing particularly stands out to me as like shocking or anything like that um right yeah i don't know the do you there's also like the kind of the humor of like the sort of like the pointlessness of the whole situation because like when he finally meets the hockey player brother in chicago he's doing all this for for whatever reason the 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 guy Hmm. doesn't care I mean, he does, but he's like kind of afraid of he he he's been kind of cowed by the Americans. I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, but like like he doesn't offer to let him stay. Like he doesn't offer Daniela to stay with him or anything. Like he, it's like right. Yeah, it's a very sort of like, I mean, thanks, I guess, kind of situation. At least that's how I interpret it. Yeah. Where it's like, which, yeah, maybe maybe that's another contrast where uh, when he cause, cannot find a, a place with with Costia's brother. He's like walking around, and I think he, if I remember this correctly, he gets hit hits a woman in a car, like hits yeah. him with her car, yeah. And she's like, "Oh my god, are you okay?" And she just like takes him home and patches him up, and then he sleeps there. So you know, after being again being rejected by a Russian, it's an American who helps mm. helps him out after hitting him with her car. Granted, but that was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of randomness in the film. I think probably my favorite part was definitely the the scenic shots of the of the drive from new york to chicago with the with ben i think is his name or whatever um the truck driver and daniela oh with the yeah yeah yeah. it's a cool it's a cool movie considering it like does what it does in the sense of like there is new york moscow and chicago and like considering the budget was 1.5 million which is still like pretty pitiful for american Compa- like compared to American movie right. budgets, like that's that's essentially like a a tiny film, like most m- movies out here that are. Because for Brat Two, it's sort of yeah. like a blockbuster film for the country of Russia, right? Like, wouldn't you say like that? This is like I don't. I guess we don't know because we're not Russians and we didn't grow up in Russia in two thousand. But mm. I'm imagining like this film was you know shown in movie theaters, right? And like was a fairly mm-hmm. big deal at the time um but to do that on 1.5 million is still like nothing like i'm sure most of the f- major films in the u.s had like a hundred right. million dollars at that year or whatever like titanic had just yeah. come out in 1995 and made almost a billion dollars so it's like it, <laughs> there's clearly like a a difference overall in in money um mm-hmm. but that being said, yeah, still a pretty damn good film. That, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I did. I didn't think it's worth to talk about two major points, and that's 
um, kind of the, the nationalism of the film and also the racial politics of the film. We can talk about we can talk about them in turn. Um, many people have said that this is uh, almost a piece of propaganda, and I can definitely see where that's coming from. It's very nationalistic um, at the at the beginning of the film uh, when uh, Danila is is trying to get to uh, Belkin the the poem that Belkin's son is reciting is uh, one by um, a, a playwright. Uh, oh God, I forget what the name is. I, I know like part of the title in Russian. It's um, something or other in Russian. I do not know. I don't remember what it is in English. But it, it's basically like a poem about like, oh, this, you know, this place, this, this river, this blue sky, this is my, everything is my native land. This is my, this is my birthright. I love everyone, mm-hmm. uh, you know, here, etc. And, you know, it's not shocking for a school child to be reciting that. But in the very end of the film, as uh, Danila is going up to face Menace, he's like running up the stairs, up like 50 flights of stairs. And he's repeating this to himself. Um, Etc, etc. He's like repeating this kind of, you know, poem about Russia to himself. Mm. And um, that's a very minor point, but obviously the... Some people have read the very negative portrayal of America as um, kind of nationalistic, and certainly with Dasha, uh, when when he tells her to go back to Russia, she says like, "Well, what what's for me there?" And he says, "What's for you here?" And and she has been, you know, she came to America as a student, got into a marriage, gotten through a divorce, kind of lost everything, became a prostitute, and uh, you definitely see. Uh, a negative, a very negative portrayal as the of the U.S. However, I think that doesn't extend to Americans as a whole. I think it mostly relates to the society. You have Americans who are out to cheat people. You have Americans who are uh, taking advantage of people. But you also have Americans who help uh, Danila completely unprompted. And the same is true in Russia, where you have people who take advantage and, and hurt people in Danila's life and people who help Danila. I, I think it's, it's not necessarily nationalistic, although definitely there are those tones in the film. See, you know, the repeating of... of of that poem, you know, the the river, the blue sky, uh, this is my, these are my native things, this is my uh, home mm. country, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so there's that. The, the, the Wikipedia for the movie also mentions that the film is um, banned in certain parts of Ukraine because it's considered mm. <laughs> right uh, to be like offensive i guess to so like yeah i mean you have ukrainian gang members in the and this film, is certainly. 15 so this is 2015 the state agency of ukraine on cry on cinema i'm sorry not crimea on cinema in 2015 banned the film to be shown on the territory of the country due to the fact that it according to the experts of the department contain scenes that are humiliating for Ukrainians on a national basis and also because of the incorrectness of the demonstration of this film during the aggression in the east of the country. Uh... Yeah, that's good. <laughs> There's a scene in the film in Victor. We didn't even talk about Victor's side plot, plot line, which is, I think it's funny. Um, when he gets to America, he just does not do anything related to their mission. He just kind of goes off and starts gambling and gets in trouble with the Ukrainian mafia and eventually gets arrested. Yeah. Um, but there's a point when the Ukrainian mafia is hunting him down. So he goes into a bathroom and the mobster kind of walks in, looks at the stall, sees Victor's um, feet under one and, you know, takes out a gun with a silencer on it and shoots through the stall. Now, Victor has been expecting this. So he's like leaning towards the side. And so the gunshots go past him and then he shoots back and wounds the guy. And he goes out and interrogates him. And the guy basically pleads for him not to kill him. And then Victor stands up and is like, this is for Sevastopol. And then and then executes him right there. Um, and Sevastopol being a reference to the, the siege of Sevastopol, which happened during the Crimean War, which is a complex <laughs> conflict. Uh, you can read all about that from like Leah Tolstoy or um, other poets of the time. You know, the British were involved, the French were involved, the Russians were involved, the Ukrainians. It was, it was a big, complex fight. But... You know, I, I could see that definitely not being received well in Ukraine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming that's what they meant by the East or whatever. Like, um, I assume they either mean Crimea or they might also mean the separatism in the Donbass region. 
and the Russian support for separatists there. I don't remember. Because Crimea was 2014, and then the eruption of, of conflict, I think, was 2015 for the, the Donbass region. Um, now, I'm looking at this article, right, that like mentions the, fam, f- mm. the film being banned, and there's a couple other films that have been banned. Maybe we should check these out. There's a, a film known as From the Life of Captain Cherniav. Chernyev and mm. Web 8. Yeah. I wonder Web why 8. these films have been banned in Ukraine. Assuming they're Russian films. Look up what the captain. Mm. I don't know if you can even find this movie in the US because when I Google searched it, it does not show up. Mm. Anywho. What are we at? 52 minutes or something? 50 right. minutes? Uh... Yeah. So in the final final bit, I just want to quickly talk on the racial politics, we've, we, which we briefly mentioned before. Um, I, I would say I think the film obviously does have, uh, like, it's not entirely, it's not intending to be racist. I think, in, in, I mean, no one does, but I think they're intending, like, they're not trying to, like, esp- like single out black people um, at a certain point when they're when they're talking about a lake um a homeless guy who's black uh, comes uh, across them and they're cooking crawfish and he's like you don't want to do that it's a bad lake and um Danila tells him you know go and he calls him a word in russian which means black um but in english it <laughs> sounds like something else so in russian it's spelled n or the russian characters for n e g r and it's spelled about how you would imagine that's pronounced so in russian that's really like anachronistic um, you still hear people saying it. My host mother said that about black people, um, but it's it's old fashioned, not racist. Um, there are other there are other more insulting names for black people in Russia. <laughs> I'm not saying that they don't have that, uh, but in English, it's not. It doesn't have the same you know level as it does in English. So this guy gets insulted and leaves, and uh, Dasha has to explain to Danila that you know you can't <laughs> you you like you know don't say, say tell that to people. Mm. And then she, after that, um, she goes on about like something about there's like a primal nature in black people which is superior and drives fear into white people and i think it was supposed to be complimentary and from like a from like someone who's not familiar with american racial politics i could see how maybe you could get treated from that but from an american perspective it's really weird and, and pretty racist yeah. uh, <laughs> um, it was pretty out there so, uh, i think it's like a compliment <laughs> i i mean like for i don't know a russian person like 2000 i could see that's a different environment mm. Um, it, there is an attempt, it, but it, it does in in uh, twenty twenty obviously comes off at as the end racist. of that scene. Doesn't um, like don't they come back and try to like fight? Oh yeah, the the guy comes back with a friend of his, and then Danila shoots at them. So you know, just good times. Yeah, so <laughs> there, there's that. Yeah, it, it's complex. It's not. Yeah, I, I don't think I could outright say it's it's one or the other. It, it's a mixture of them attempting to kind of engage with it, but not quite under knowing enough to really do it well i think that might be um, my overall like the biggest flaw with this film is that like it didn't it bit uh, tried to bite off more than it could chew and there's a lot mm. of things that you know you can see what they were trying to do but they don't really have everything in place to actually make it make sense or what they were aiming mm. for was a bit shallow i guess like they weren't really being as deep as right. they thought they were yeah, I think that's a good point. All right. Um, but at towards the end, uh, I just want to say uh, it's it's a fun movie, but obviously not as good as the first movie. Um, it's it's weird they've kind of had to change the characters a little bit. In the first, the first film was very small scale. Um, Victor is, is the whole point of his character is that he plays tough, but he never actually does violence. Whereas in the second film, Victor is very comfortable with doing violence and is obviously much more competent than he is in the f- first film, which I think kind of undermines that a little bit. But I like to look at these as two separate mm-hmm. films, with that, <laughs> um, so it doesn't really bother me too much. Danila, mm, his character is, is more or less um consistent but it, it's been upgraded to the level of budget he throughout the film he's kind of has an affair going with um oh gosh what's her name Irina saltikova i think who's like an actual pop star yeah. in russia so for some reason he's just she sees him when he's walking through the studio and they kind of flirt and uh so now in the first film you know he's having an affair with like a tram driver not to 
to, to knock the tram driver, but that's like realistic. You meet someone, they've got a job. In this one, he's like has pop stars kind of he's and, catching and their eyes. So he's it's he like yeah. dotes over him while he's sort of like, I why do you even make why don't you think it's weird to watch your own show? <laughs> like he oh, yeah. like makes fun of her. She has she has her own music videos playing even... yeah in her apartment. Danilo's just too cool. Like that's just like his character is like the Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yeah it's definitely upgraded from the first film where he's he's kind of experiencing life and he's still got like a sense of awe and this one he's a little bit less he's a little bit less awed by these big cities he's now in and uh, everything's kind of is brought to a higher level of 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 reality or maybe surreality Mm. which is fine but again you really have to look at brat and brat as as separate films otherwise the the first one totally overshadows the second one i mean like the the relatability to the second one is pretty much zero i don't think most people can really relate mm. to most of the characters. It's all pretty ridiculous. Whereas the first mm-hmm. one, there is a sort of like, yeah, this is how it was, <laughs> you know. <laughs> at least at the time. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying that that's truly how it was, but like, seems more real to me as a foreigner who was born when the movie came out. You know, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. we're both people right. coming from perspective that doesn't really understand it to the same level of the creators but i don't know anyways yeah that that's the film in a nutshell if you have some time you should it's watch on it it's youtube fun. it's mindless fun you can drink to that movie maybe drink every time something stupid happens <laughs> <laughs> something that shouldn't be happening happens no i don't know anyways i think we can probably wrap it up here and say thank you all for checking us out, for continuing to listen to this podcast series, our mid-roll lives. We're still figuring it out, but uh, it's been a pleasure so far. Cameron, any ideas for next week? Um, oh gosh, I don't know. We, we've, we'll, we'll <laughs> talk about that one. We, we, we've had such like a wild ride between, uh, I don't even remember what we did like a month ago, but then to that, to the episode, which we'll be releasing two days from now, which we've had <laughs> kind of kind of in the in the barrel, locked and loaded, but not right, quite ready to go for a while and, uh, about politics. And now this one about Russian movies again. I don't know. Maybe we should do another movie one. I think that one's kind of fun talking about films, but uh, we can also move on to something else. I think else. what we need to start doing is really ask the people what the hell they want. We can sort of tailor ourselves a little bit towards what people enjoy listening to the most. Just a thought. We can, we can cut this part, but I don't think we've had enough. I mean, it's true. Yeah. Just whatever. Throw a pole. Anywho. All right. 